Well, good morning, Sunrise. Yeah, welcome to worship. Welcome to church this day, this beautiful day. And welcome to you guys worshiping with us online. Good to have you guys with us. Um, well, we're going to start this, this morning like we have the past few mornings. This is the, uh, the past few Sundays, actually. Uh, this is the third Sunday of Advent. And uh, if you've been here, or if you're watching online, you've um, noticed the theme that we've been doing. We've been do, starting with a... Um, a call and response call to worship that's kind of Advent themed and then we're, we launch right into singing Come Thou Long Expected Jesus as we um, continue this anticipation, this longing um, for Jesus to come on Christmas morning celebrate his birth. So um, I'll explain it once again but it's, it's pretty simple. I'll be the, the leader, you guys will be the all so we'll kind of go back and forth and then we'll join together for the end of the reading and then sing together. So why don't you guys stand as we, as we do the call to worship together. So we can go to the first slide. Anticipation grows within us. The day of your incarnation is near. There is no war nor division in the world that is beyond your capacity to heal. There is no hatred in the cosmos that cannot be transformed by your forgiving love. The day of your incarnation is here. There is no social ill, relational breach, nor systemic evil that will not dissolve at your touch. The day of your incarnation is near. In this third week of Advent, we sing with the prophets. In this third week of Advent, we shout with the children. Prince of Peace, quiet a world screaming in pain and hungry for your presence. In this third week of Advent, we pray with the believers around the world. Prince of Peace, we recognize that you are the God who alone can bring restoration to a fallen planet. Your capacity to restore broken relationships, communities, nations, and ancient rivalries is boundless. Come restore peace to our hearts today and intervene among our restless human family. Lord, make us instruments of this same transforming peace wherever we go. We prepare our hearts in this Advent season by praying, listening, singing, and responding to your rightful kingship in our lives and in your world. With the ancients who awaited you, we say, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, come quickly to us, write your world, and spark the dawn of new creation. That's different than that. <laughs> but we'll close by saying, Amen. <laughs> Let's worship.
thou long expected Jesus front to set thy people free from our hearts and sins Oh. 
Jesus' arrival brings such a joy to our world. So good to sing together, worshiping the one true King. God, allow your message of peace to bring comfort to our anxious world. We long for the peace that passes all understanding, and may it guard our hearts and our minds. And may we all go about this holiday season, just let the message of joy pierce through the heart's through all the noise and everything in the world and our going on. God, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Yes. Why don't you guys take a seat? Good morning. Sounds like it works. Good morning, Sunrise, and welcome. Uh, my name is Joe Nykirk. I serve on the elder team here at Sunrise, and um, I want to issue a special welcome to New guests joining us here as well as online. Um, you can scan the QR code on the back of the chairs that will bring you a, to a form on the website. For those online, you can click on the link that is posted in the comments. 
If you can fill out some brief information there, um, along with any questions you have, we will send you a gift uh, later in the week. Um, I am your first time, first time guest host here, so <laughs> we're going to get through this together. <laughs> um, as far as events coming up, this Wednesday, uh, December 14th, is uh, the Sunrise Students' Ugly Sweater Christmas Party. Uh, plenty of food and games for that. And um, just one rule on that, um, Ohio State sweatshirts, uh, Buckeyes, do not qualify as an ugly sweater. <laughs> um, uh, next Sunday, the 18th, it's a happy birthday Jesus party uh, during the sunrise kids' time. Um, and then uh, December 24th, we've added a service, Christmas Eve service on Saturday night. Um, actually, Saturday late afternoon starts at 4.30. So uh, we are still having our regular meeting on Christmas morning, the 25th. But if you're traveling, or if you're not traveling, and can make both, we'd love to see you at both. Um, continue to um, save up those pop cans for the offering for the kids that goes towards Sunrise uh, Kids Day Camp next year. And I uh, just want to say, it is wonderful to see the Moles family back in our midst. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Jeff. That, that was the transition? Good, excellent, all right. So um, before we dismiss uh, the kids and have our greeting time uh, today, if you've been around here for a while, you know that Sunrise is a little bit, we're a different church can I, get, can I get an amen on that? All right? And, and, and here at Sunrise, we don't have members. We have partners. Now, when I was being interviewed by the elders, they told me this. And I'm like, well, that sounds fun. I wonder what that exactly means. Um, and then when I showed up on the 23rd, I was informed that, oh, by the way, Dennis, you have to teach a partnership class on the 13th of November. And I, I thought to myself, I better figure out what this partnership thing means. In essence, at the lowest level, becoming a partner here at Sunrise means that you consider this your church and you are making a commitment to stand up and say, this is not just the place that I attend. I'm not just a volunteer here. This is my family. You see, partners are more than just members or volunteers. You see, volunteers, they... They fund ministry through charitable giving, but partners understand that God owns everything anyway, and we just help them steward what God has given them. Volunteers fill slots on a schedule by giving of their time, but, but partners see this as the place where they leverage their gifts and their passions and their skills for the establishment and the building of the kingdom in this local area. Volunteers fill seats in a Sunday gathering but partners understand that it's not, that the being the church isn't about showing up to listen to a concert and hear a speech. It's about incarnating the people of God in a particular place, in a particular space. So on November 13th, I was able to sit down with uh, nine new friends, and we were able to talk about this, about what it means to become a partner here at, at Sunrise. And, and part of the thing that attracted these nine dear friends is the same thing that attracted Amy and I. Part of it was is that a Sunrise partner agrees to the basic statement of faith, the essentials in which we have unity. 
about what the Bible is, about the Holy Trinity, about the church, salvation, and the fact that Jesus is coming, and we don't make a big deal about when? That it's people who are gathered as baptized believers, and, and again, we don't make a big deal about the mode or the time or whether you were, you know, I, I was at a Reformed church recently, right, and I saw that baptismal font, and I asked myself, how do you climb up in that thing anyway? <laughs> right, we don't, we don't make a big deal of the mode or the mechanism, but we make a big deal of the fact that there's a sacrament that God has called us to. We make a big deal about being serious, about being biblical, and about sharing our faith, about living authentic lives where we don't hide behind masks of our own construction. We make a big deal about being compassionate and being thankful. And on the 13th, we were able to sit down and talk with several new friends about what it meant to be a part of this Jesus community, where we're honestly attempting to move from more effort to more Jesus, from seeing people as volunteers to seeing people as partners, unique masterpieces on a mission that God has gifted and called, a place that's moving from more guilt to more love, a place that's moving from more professional clergy doing the job to more empowered laity on a mission, a church that isn't program-based, a come-and-see kind of a ministry, but a church that's attempting to be a go-and-be community of Christ followers. And so, on that day, we sat down with these nine friends, and we're thankful to say that seven of them are here today. We'll introduce the the Knievels to you in, in the weeks to come. But Dan and Pam Rosema and Phil and Tabitha Rowley and Joel and Brenda Razdahl And Cheryl Cross have said, sign me up for some of that. And they are coming this morning, being presented after they've met with the elders, talked to the elders. And so the elders actually did meet with these folks, and and they kind of fixed what I broke. Um, And they're like, you know, we love Dennis. He's a lot. It's okay. Um, So if I could have those dear friends that are here, could you stand up real quick so the folks can get a look at you? to see who you are. Um, if, if you'll look in, in the booth, right, so Phil's like, what do I do? Do I stay in the, the sound booth? Do I, right? So we're thankful for Tabitha and for Phil, for Cheryl, for Pam and for Dan, uh, for Joel and for Brenda. Uh, we're thankful for them coming. And so here's what we're going to do is I'm going to pray over these dear folks. And then after I'm done praying, kids, you're going to be dismissed. And um, you're going to uh, then uh, break your neck to go and to greet one of these people and act like, you know, act like you're friendly and things like that. Um, but we're thankful for what God is doing in, in our midst. And we're thankful for the people that he's bringing. So let's let, go ahead and join me in, in, in a word of prayer. And then the kids can be dismissed. And then we'll start our greeting time and you can greet these, these new partners. Father, we thank you now for your love. We thank you for these friends that have come. And Lord, we pray that you would give each and every one of us, you would stir in our hearts the desire and the passion to be people on mission. Lord, we feel like that you have given us a call to, to go and, 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 and to in your name, for your sake, under the unction and the power of your Holy Spirit, to transform the world through your grace and love. And so, Lord, we thank you for these dear friends that have said, sign me up for that. 
And so we, we pray a special blessing upon them, and we would ask now that you would uh, just hold them in your hands, that you would uh, reinvigorate each and every one of us, that we would follow you uh, into the world that you have called us to inhabit. And so, God, as we, we dismiss the children now, as we, um, Lord, as we, we greet one another and these dear friends, we pray, Father, that you would make us the church that this area needs. Lord, help us to be the people that you've called us to be to establish your kingdom and to love those who you desperately love. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name we pray. And God's people said? Stand up. Greet those around you, especially these new partners. Okay, everybody, if you could go ahead and find your seats, please. All right, Uh, so today we are going to be uh, jumping into week three, so the story of joy, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Now, if if you are an actual Bible reader, Bible carrier, um, and you're going to that passage of Scripture, you're going to think, how in the world is the crazy Appalachian going to make this one work? Uh, for a story of joy. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how that goes over the next few minutes. Uh, but, but before we jump into to the text today, a few things that I would like to uh, just say uh, from, from, uh, from my heart, just a big, big heartfelt thank you for all the thoughts and the prayers, the cards, the kind messages um, over the last uh, several days. Uh, thank you so much for your care and, and your concern. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's been quite a crazy time. Um, we are super thankful uh, for all of you. We're thankful for Dan, for, for Julie, for Tanner holding down the fort here while we were gone. Quite literally got a phone call at about 10.30 on Tuesday morning and left, not knowing uh, what we would find and what was going to be going on. We're thankful. Um, I'm thankful for Brittany. Uh, that I could pick up the phone and I could call and uh, say, hey, listen, kiddo, I need some, I need some help. I need a pinch hitter. Um, she's pretty great, huh? Yes. Right? Um, very, very different. Mark, Mark told me this morning, he's like, hey, the uh, headset may be a little small today. I'm like, well, yeah, look who wore it last week. Um, but thankful for her, her willingness to jump in with both feet. You guys don't have any idea. I know she sort of shared with you about, um, so she's not been in ministry very long. She doesn't have a deep sort of reservoir of sermons and things like that. And so when I called her, I said, hey, just, just use any message that you want to use. But, but she's also, you know, very committed to growing in her craft. And so uh, the fact that, that she spent time writing uh, what I guess is affectionately called the cat sermon um, by some of you, um, no, but the sermon about love and about peace uh, was, was a great gift, and we are thankful, uh, we're thankful for her. And so today we enter this third week of Advent and, 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 and the week of, of joy. And, and, and to be honest, I, I find myself... Um, in a really odd space, if I can confess that, to preach a sermon about joy. It creeps up, doesn't it? It was eight days ago that I stood in front of a grieving family, my family, recounting snippets of stories of someone's sister, daughter, wife, and mother, and mammal. If you've lost someone, especially if you've lost someone around this time of year, you know what that's like. The grief of sorrow, it runs deep and it is real. It's raw and it sneaks up. 
But there are those moments, there's moments, uh, what, we, what we found over the last several, several days, of, of real and lasting joy, where, where they surprise you in the spaces of grieving and the spaces of sorrow, times when you laugh through the tears. Um, for those of you that don't know, we, mar- we buried my mother-in-law last Saturday. She passed away last Tuesday. That was what Amy and I were doing. And... Um, I, I, I've said it often. I said it at the funeral. I feel like that I won the in-law lottery. My mother-in-law, Pat, she was pretty spectacular, but she did have one outstanding flaw, and that was this. She showed wanton disregard for the wishes of her children when it came to her grandchildren. Can I get, can I get a witness from any of the grandmothers in here? <laughs> right? That's right. That's the way she should have been. You see, and and, and no one, I mean no one, could work the system with his grandmother like my youngest nephew Colin could. Amy's younger sister's youngest son, Colin, he's nine. And and, and Colin is, uh, well, he's he's a husky little fella, and um, he likes the sugary drinks and the sweet snacks. Can I get a witness from the sugary drink sweet snack group? All right? And, and, And... and he knew how this would work. And anytime we would get together as a family, he would purposely ask his mother in public if he could have some kind of, I don't know, whatever was in the, the outside refrigerator at Pat and Jerry's, which is where they keep the drinks, right? Whether it was a, a, a grape soda or orange pop or whatever it was, anything that had the red number four dye in it. Right? Colin would march in and ask his mother in front of, of all, including his grandmother, if he could have this drink. Now, you know what would happen is that always Missy, his mother, would look at him and say, while his grandmother was opening the soda and pouring it in a can for him. Here's, here, here's what I've kind of lived and not just understood from a cognitive level over the last few weeks is that in the midst of the sorrow, the Lord has been faithful to give us bits of joy through memories like that. It's reminded me that during this Advent season, though it may be filled with personal loss, is that the scriptures are God's story of joy often spoken into the context of human sorrow. This is one of the great things and one of the most unbelievable things about the scriptures is that they tell us God's story in the midst of our story. That our sorrow and grief can be mingled and overtaken by joy, not because of our own efforts, but because of Him. It's a place in which God is teaching me to find joy even when I don't feel joyful. Now, see, here's the interesting thing. For most of my life, I've approached the Scriptures as a religious text filled with rules and regulations meant to manage my behavior. Anybody else? Right? The Bible isn't a, a book of hope, it's not a story, it's not a book of life, but it's a, it's a religious textbook that I look up to tell me what to do and what not to do. You have to run this fast, you have to jump this high, you have to accomplish this. But, but the Bible was never meant for that purpose, to manage human beings. It has always been a gift meant to show us the love of the giver. It's a mirror. It's a mirror by which we see ourselves and we see the God who loves us. 
That's why, though, though it may seem odd, we, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5 this morning, because I think that when we really understand what the Scriptures are, the fact that they, they aren't an object to be worshipped, but, but they're a gift meant to point us toward the love of the giver, then, then it helps us understand whose story they're telling. Let's look at this real quick. So 5.17 says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not inherit the kingdom of heaven." The context into which these words are, are spoken is the beginning of Matthew's gospel after he begins and he establishes the genealogy of who Jesus was. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus sort of begins his ministry by, being, by heading into the wilderness, being led of the Spirit. He goes into the wilderness to be tempted. He overcomes the temptation of the evil one. Then immediately after that, Jesus begins his teaching ministry. Mark or Matthew then follows up and, and shows us Jesus' account of him calling uh, the first apostles, Andrew, Simon, James, and John, to be his disciples. And then Jesus begins his healing ministry. At the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, we come to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, we're not exactly sure whether this is one sermon that Jesus delivered at one time, uh, which is how Dallas Jenkins and The Chosen presents it. I'm kind of inclined to believe that this is a combination that Matthew is taking sermons that Jesus preached throughout his three years, and he sort of put them together as, as sort of a, an anthology of the sermons of Jesus, if you will. But regardless of this, Matthew was clearly telling us that these are things that Jesus taught and Jesus spoke to the people. Right? And, and, and we see sort of two first movements. We see Jesus preaching the Beatitudes, then we see him talking about being salt and light, and then we come to this passage where Jesus begins to speak to the people about who he really is and what he has really come to do. And we can probably surmise and assume that Jesus is actually saying these words that we have just read because people have already been accusing him of setting aside the law. This is sort of an aside, this is free, but folks, anytime you attempt to function in a world and you attempt to be governed by God's love and God's grace, guess what you're going to be accused of? You're going to be accused of setting aside the rules and the regulations. But that's not what Jesus did, and that's, that's not what I think we're called to do either. See, Jesus didn't come to destroy his religious heritage or to contradict Torah's teaching. On the contrary, he, he begins, or Matthew begins, by telling us the words of Jesus where he says, don't think that I've come to abolish. Quite literally, this means to destroy or to tear down the law or the prophets. And again, he's speaking of the Torah. He's speaking of the scriptures, the holy writings, what, what those that were around him would have considered the word of God and holy scripture. 
See, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. Now, right now, I know that there's probably in, our, in, in, in your hearts out there, uh, Jesus was heard by two types of people, and I'm probably being heard by two types of people. There are probably some of you out there that, are, that this makes very happy. And you're what we call the rule keepers. Can I get a shout out from the rule keeper? How, how many of you, you like clear rules, you like clear regulations, you like the fact that, that the speed limit is posted? Come on, rule keepers. How many of you are that? Yeah, you're like, yeah, that's me. That's me. I like to know. You know, up means up, down means down, right? Debbie, come on. No. Nuh-uh. All right, Carol, we got business to do at the next elders meeting. I don't know what to tell you. Right? So some of you, this, this makes very happy, right? Because there's some of us that we want everything to be prescribed. We want to know exactly what to do. And when I worked at the publishing house in the editorial team, I was surrounded by people that were super meticulous in this way. And I got to be honest, it drove me crazy because I'm not the first person. I'm the second person. Because there are many of you that are sitting out there and you're not a rule keeper. You're not a rule follower. There lives a tiny anarchist in your heart right here. that shakes his or her fist at the authorities in the world. How many of you are out there? Okay, right? Now, friends, I've got to be honest. Probably that's a sign that we've not been sanctified as much as we should be. (laughs) But whether or not we like it or whether or not we don't like it, the reality is that when Jesus says that he's not come to abolish the law and the prophets, he's saying something very, very important because to the, the hearers of his day, the law and the prophets didn't just represent words on a page, but they represented the heart and the intention of the heavenly author of those words. And Jesus has not come to put aside either. He didn't show up with a red pen to edit the law or to correct the prophets. He didn't invalidate the Ten Commandments, nor did he come correcting the words of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Haggai. No, he came to do more than that. He came to do something even better than those things. You see, often when we see Jesus as an editor or we see Jesus as, as one who comes to correct the mistakes of the Old Testament, we, we, we juxtapose the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, and there are not two gods that exist. You see, we'll never fully understand or correctly understand Jesus until we understand him in light of his Old Testament heritage and his, his Hebrew context. But the other is even more true. We'll never truly understand the law and the prophets and the Old Testament until we properly understand it in the light of its Jesus context. This brings us to the second thing is that Jesus has come to show us how to show people how to translate and to live God's good instruction. He didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. Quite literally, this means to make it happen. We could translate this little phrase as he didn't come to, apolo- he didn't come to abolish it, but he, he came to make it happen or to fully proclaim it. Jesus came putting on skin. This is what the incarnation is, folks. It's not an abolishment of what God had said, but it's actually an embodiment of what God said and showing us how we live out those instructions. You see, Jesus didn't just proclaim the law through his words, but through his life. He didn't just proclaim the law, he made it happen. He manifested the commands of God with complete and utter certainty. And this is why it's so beautiful. 
because the Pharisees and the other teachers of the law, they had actually, in their zeal to uphold the law, to be rule keepers of the law and the prophets, they had actually done damage to it. And Jesus came and said, no, 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 this is how this works. These laws were given not so you could beat others over the head with it, but so that they could show you something about yourself and they could show you something about God himself. You see, Jesus has not come to destroy but to incarnate. One of the things, one of the things that's really interesting, this, this word here to fulfill, um, plerau is, 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 is the Greek root here. But it's interesting because this word appears 86 times in the New Testament. And, and, and one of the places that it appears is in John 15, um, verse 11, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. To fulfill is to be complete. That when we live, when we incarnate, when we understand who Jesus is and what he has done, we understand that Jesus has come to complete the work of God. It is not interpreting Jesus in light of the law, but it's understanding the law in light of its Jesus context. And what is, it, what is the Jesus context? Well, John 15 is very clear and actually refers refers back to what Brittany was talking about last week, the fact that, the, the, the fact that God's love is the governor for all the things that he teaches. John 15 verse 9 says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, what's the call? Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. What does John do here? He calls back to the greatest command. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. So why? So that my joy may be in you and, your, and that your joy may be complete. This is my command, folks. Love each other as I have loved you. No greater love has anyone than this that they lay down their life for their friends? And you are my friends if you do what I command. Love God and love others. You see, Jesus gets to the, to the point very quickly here, and he, he shows us that the, that the Scriptures do something better than anything else that we have at our disposal is that they show us our sin and they show us God's holiness. And it's not just talking about the personal things that we do wrong, it's talking about how sin has broken this world. The fact that we live in a fallen world. And what Jesus is saying here is not going to disappear is the fact that God is speaking hope and he's speaking wholeness and he's wooing his wayward beloved back to himself within time and space, that every time he speaks into a time and space uh, endeavor that is going on, that every time he speaks into a time and space manifestation of the fall, that what he's doing is saying, look, this is who I am and this is where I'm calling you to be. We can find joy because God always, always, always shows up and he meets us in our places of brokenness and our places of sin. It's a story of our sin and God's holiness, but it's also a story of how the latter, God's holiness, is exponentially more powerful and persistent than the former. 
You see, we don't set them aside. We don't set the scriptures aside. But after having looked at them in their historical and cultural and literary and religious context, we look at them through the context of Jesus. And it's in him that we find clarity. It's in him that we find certainty. The last thing that this passage tells us, or the next to the last thing, is adherence to religious rules and regulations isn't the goal, and it never has been. One of the things, maybe this is my Christmas gift to you guys, one of the things that I've been reminded of over the last several weeks is that, you know what, being a religious person or adhering to certain rules and regulations, that's never been the goal of the scriptures, and it should not be the goal of the church. Verse 20 tells us this. It says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Can I tell you a secret? Your religious adherence and mine doesn't even approach that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We might as well give up. Lay down. Give up. Cry because you're not going to make it. The very people that attacked Jesus and the very people that Jesus reserved his sternest words for were people that were actually much more religiously adherent than we are. But what did Jesus tell them over and over? Well, he, he told them things like when he, you know, he called them whitewashed tombs and he told them that they traveled over land and sea to make one convert and, and, and then in doing so, they made, he made them twice as much a son of hell as they, as they were themselves. No, see... Rules, my friend, can do, they can manage behavior, but only God can soften one's heart. The quicker that we learn this, the better it's going to be for us and the better it's going to be for people that need to come to know Jesus through us. We can manipulate and intimidate people into doing what we want them to do, but we can't manipulate and intimidate people into God's kingdom. That's not how this works. You see, joy comes. Hope comes. Salvation comes as we help people encounter a person. The person. This is what Jesus has, has done. Is he's, he's come and said, God has given you this great gift. He's given you the scriptures. He's given you the, uh, the law. He's given you the prophets. But all of those things, those were, were sort of uh, many incarnations in time and space. The words that God gave to Moses were, were for people in Moses' day and who, who understood things in Moses' way. And the same with Jeremiah and the same with Isaiah and the same with Micah. The same with all the psalmists. The same. And they were speaking life into particular situations. But Jesus has come and said, hey, this is how this looks when it becomes incarnated, when we put skin on it. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. No, I've come to show you this is what it looks like with certainty. And the call that he's given to each and every one of us, especially during this Advent season, and one of the ways I think that, that we find and we experience joy and we experience hope and especially for me, how I've experienced joy and hope in the midst of the sorrow over the last few weeks is when God's people have incarnated him in my presence through this time of struggle. Is that Jesus calls us to do the same thing. He calls us to step in and to take the words off of the page and to live them. To live them in the lives and the experiences that we have with other people. Let me just share with you 
just, just, a, just a few little things as, as the worship team gets ready to come and, and, and we get ready to close. But, but this past week, I've been able to experience joy, not because of people coming to me. And folks, and I've got to be honest with you, I, I've not experienced joy because people have come to me and they said, Dennis, will you remember? The scripture says... Guys, and I'm a Bible guy, right? I can't do very many things, right? I can read it. I can read it in English. I can read it in Hebrew. I can read it in Greek. I can read it. But the reality is, is that the words on a page don't bring comfort to me. But what brought comfort to me was when Matthew Oliver showed up at the funeral. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to hire a whole lot of staff, but the first person that I ever hired in my entire life was a fellow by the name of Matthew Oliver. First name Matthew, last name Oliver, hence the nickname Mo. And forever in my children's life, he has been my friend longer than my children have been alive. One of the great and funny stories, and so Mo walks in, and he walks in there, and he just simply hugs me, and he says, man, I love you, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Because Mo knows, he knows what it's like to lose a parent. And we walked with him when he lost his dad, and he showed up, and he received reciprocated. He put skin on the command that Jesus says, this is how you make my joy complete. You love one another. And he stood with my boys. And what was really funny when, when the boys were really little, Mo's a big guy, probably six foot three, well over 350 pounds, just a, an enormous gentleman. And when, when, when the boys were little, Drew came up and he patted Mo on the hand and he said, Mo, God made you a little bit fat, didn't he? <laughs> And we stood in the funeral home, and Mo recounted that story. And he said, hey, you remember when this happened? And the boys were like, no, I don't remember, but that's really, really funny. <laughs> you see, joy came in the midst of the sorrow when our friend Joy Shear showed up. A little over a year ago, Amy and I had the uh, unenviable privilege of walking walking through joy uh, as she buried her husband, Howard, who they, they were our age. They were part of our Sunday school class when we were first in ministry. And uh, Howard got sick, and he passed away last year. And joy knows what it's like to walk through this long, dark valley. And she incarnated the truth of the Scriptures in our lives when she showed up, and she gave us a hug, and she said, I'm here for you, and I love you. And time and time and time again, the story of the gospel was incarnated. It was incarnated when the wife of my best friend from seminary, when Dawn showed up and she hugged us and she declared her love, when my cousin Tara and my best friend Tom and their son Taylor came, it was incarnated when my mom and dad drove three hours to come because their grandchildren needed their grandparents in that moment. It was incarnated and they showed up. It was incarnated when I stood before a grieving family and addressed nine grandchildren and reminded them of the love of their grandmother with the retelling of Pat's story, of how she loved them. Not because she was exceptional or special, but because God loved her first. And that her capacity to love, listen to me, was hard won on a cross by her Savior. You see, Jesus didn't come, my friends, to destroy the law, but to show us how it works out in real life. 
This is how we can find joy in the midst of our sorrow. This is how we can keep putting one foot in front of another to know that there is hope. Why? Because Jesus came and he dwelt among us and he knows he's been tempted in every way we have been tempted, even though without sin. Jesus know what it's, what, what knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to be homeless. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry and to struggle. Jesus, folks, get this. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a parent. Joseph is nowhere to be found, and he loses his adoptive father. Jesus knows. And so when I pray, when I pray to a Savior, I pray to a Savior that he knows what it's like, friends, to be a single adult, and he knows what it's like to lose a parent, and he knows what it's like to be misunderstood, and he knows all of those things. And he came and he incarnated in this world, not to, 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 not to destroy words on a page, but to bring them to life and say, this is how they're lived out. It's not about tying rules and regulations about people. It's about putting an arm around someone so that even in the midst of their sorrow, that they can find hope and joy. So, at the end of the day on Saturday, we, um, right, th- those of you that have been through this, you, you, I mean, you know, it's, like, it, it, it's a long day, there's a lot going on, and my sister-in-law and her husband and her boys, their church brought us, um, brought us dinner, and it was such a dear, precious gift, um, mainly because it was barbecue, and I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're like, hey, Dennis, you want salad? I'm like, mm, brisket. Um, <clears throat> and we're there, and we're eating, and all the grandchildren are there, and... and um, aunts and uncles, and we're, we're in the house, and, you know, everybody's tired, but, but again, there's this, there's a goodness about being together in that moment, but there's also a little bit of heartache, because even though we're all together, we're not all together, and Colin, who doesn't go anywhere stealthily or quietly, Nathan Brooker is who this boy is, and that's not going to mean a whole lot to you, but that, that, you understand this. And so he, he bursts in from the, uh, from the garage like this, resolute, with an orange pop. And he's laughing, and he looks at me, and he looks at his mother. She turns and she looks at him and she just shakes her head. Here's our hope. Folks, my hope is that, that as that nine-year-old grows, here's what he's going to remember. That every time he sees an orange pop or every time he sees um, a sugary drink, that he's going to be reminded that Uncle Dennis told him on that day that God loves him more than Mamaw did. And that is true. But he's going to know the extent of God's love. Why? Because she incarnated it for him. She showed him what it looked like. My friends, you have that same opportunity. 
that same opportunity to remind people that God loves them, that He pursues them, that this is what it looks like when we bring the words off of the page. So many people have experienced loss and struggle and abuse at the hands of religious leaders, but we have an opportunity, especially during this season, to show those that we love this is what the gospel looks like with skin on. And so, that's what we do. And sometimes it looks as simple as an orange pop. Father, we love you. We are thankful for this good day. As we come into your presence now, as we, we come to the end of this service where we, we worship and Lord, as we, we give our gifts, all of those things, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to experience your joy and to show your love, to extend your peace and to give your hope, Lord, to those who desperately need it. So, Father, help us to take the words off the page, to live them well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll close by singing and worshiping and also using this time to give of our tithes and offerings, which you can use the QR code in front of you or the offering bucket in the back between the doors. Um, so let's, let's love the Lord. Let's worship. Let's give generously and seek Him. Let's worship.
As we go from here today, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to the Church of Rome when he said, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. So go from this place, living through and by and in the power of the Spirit of God in you. Go in his peace.